0: Shoes, what's the matter, Morty? Great gowns, World, beautiful gowns. Fashion has changed. World, thing. Oh, it hasn't. Hi, I'm Lauren Garoni. And I'm Chelsea Fairless. And welcome to the 100th episode of the Every Outfit Podcast. Can you believe it, Chelsea? I actually can't. I'm totally
1: shook. Like, we've spent 100 episodes talking about, like, what exactly? I do
0: not remember anything that we've ever talked about on this show. I know. It's a little scary, especially for someone like myself who considers that I have a pretty good memory. But, you know, who could tell us what we've talked about? Particular fuckats, because there are some of you who have come on to the podcast. Some of you that have been here since episode one, some that are new listeners. And I am always stunned to hear when people go back and listen to past episodes because we purposely, when we began this podcast, we didn't want to be. (laughs) What? I can't hear it. What's going on? I'm
1: in my in-laws garage. Because it is the only quiet place in this house which has little boys dressed like Spider-Man running around. And now someone has flushed the toilet upstairs and the water is coming
0: through the pipe that I'm sitting next to. Anyway, continue. Look, guys, could we have pre-recorded the 100th episode? Yeah, we could have. But not for you guys. This is the level of dedication we have. Chelsea is in a garage. (laughs) In Australia. (laughs) Oh yeah, we haven't even gotten to that. We're not in the same, not even the same state, not even the same country. But anyway, I love you guys. When we started this podcast, we purposely didn't want to bequeath the uh, podcast arena with another interview podcast. That's why we do a pop culture and fashion podcast. Yeah, because
1: if we interviewed people, we'd actually have to like do research and shit and it would be hard and like work that we'd have to do.
0: But the other side of that is because we have no net below us to really bank episodes, We are sometimes left to record in people's garages while toilets flush. Yes.
1: You know, despite my sad situation it is great to be back in australia i haven't been here since before the pandemic like the last time i was here we didn't even have this podcast and yeah i'm visiting tat's family so i basically feel like i'm in an australian episode of the kardashians like everyone is like hot and tan and shit it's like a whole thing
0: i know we're both west coasters so we don't have that east coast history or adherence to like a very cold winter but you're In a climate that is straight up summer when Christmas happens.
1: Yeah, summer in Australia is wild because everyone just, like, hangs out by the pool and, like, eats seafood and shit. Like, it's a very different vibe. There's nothing Eats prawns. Yeah, they eat the prawns. But yeah, Australian people are like super cool. I mean, I love the fact that they use sick cunt as a compliment. Mm. And I've gotten so many lovely messages from Australian listeners. I've run into a couple of incredible fuckets on the street. Shout out to Yasmin and Luke. Not that Luke, a different Luke. (laughs) There's more than one Luke apparently, but it's just really, it's been so lovely.
0: I mean, we call our male listeners Luke's, but we might only have men named Luke who listen to the podcast.
1: Yeah, if you're a man named Luke that listens, like, DM us. How many of of you are there? Luke hive. So anyway, that's what's going on with me. What is going on with you?
0: Yeah, this is the first Christmas without my grandparents. Not to bring it down, but uh, for those that have listened to the podcast for a while, my grandfather passed away on January 1st. My grandmother had an accident in May. I used to talk about her. I don't really talk about her very much. But um, she's in a memory care unit somewhere in Los Angeles right now. So this was our first Christmas without them. And I've spent every year since the year I was born. We used to go back to New Jersey. I would come to Florida. They would come to Los Angeles. So new traditions.
1: Oh, honey, I'm so sorry. So your Christmas is kind of like the Christmas at the end of the family stone.
0: Yeah, you know, a little bittersweet, but hopeful. You know, we used to make lasagna. All of us would participate. And instead of doing that, because that's a days long process. And when there's only three of you, it's kind of depressing to spend days making lasagna. (laughs) you just went to Dalton's and bought it, already made? That was actually a good idea. No, I saw on TikTok, this trending recipe is lasagna soup. So I made that on Christmas Eve. Okay, that sounds a little frightening, but I support you in
1: whatever decisions you make in your life.
0: It's basically a tomato soup with lasagna noodles broken up and some ricotta on top. Love that. Yeah. But we went to, on Christmas Day, I think our new tradition is just going to a fancy hotel. We went to the Bel Air Hotel and had lunch. We were, like, right before it closed. So all the annoying families were gone. So we just, like, boozed it up. There was a Santa, like, a legit Santa Claus there for purely selfie opportunities. Okay, that's so major. When I went to the dessert table, he made a beeline for me, and he's like, I've been clocking you since the beginning. You obviously want a photo with me. And I, I then had to, like, turn him down. You didn't have a photo with santa when offered for no other reason just to text it to me and be like lol no no no. then my father was like of course you and your mother need to take this photograph with santa at which i will now text to you we'll we'll put it in the show notes even But it made me realize I need a Bill cunningham s documentary about these men that look like legit Santas. I'm not talking about the fake beards, the like real white beard Santas. Right. What are the other 11 months of their life like? Oh, like, what do they do for work? Yeah. Do they shave that beard? How much money are they making? Do they struggle with their families? Because at this time when everyone is like, quote unquote, with their families, they're at hotels (laughs) offering themselves up for photos.
1: Well, I'm sure the Santa at the Bel Air hotel is like the most elite Santa you could get, like with the most legit beard and shit.
0: Very true. Although my mother was like, he is wearing blush. (laughs) I was like, "Don't blow up his
1: spot, Kathy." He's got some of that cloud paint just on his chubby little cheeks.
0: I bet Santas were so happy when that Benefit rose tint came out in the oh late nineties. Yes. Wait, should we be wearing that again? I think so. Let's bring it back.
1: As I remember, though, that shit, like, really stains your face. Like, you might not be able to
0: wash it off.
1: Like, when you put the turmeric and it gets on your kitchen counter and it's, like, there for, like, the next, like, six months.
0: Yeah, before Selena Gomez's uh, blush, which is really pigmented, you we had Benefits uh, Rose Tint. <laughs> I love that throwback. Also, on a completely unrelated topic, something
1: very exciting happened to us right before Christmas that we haven't had the chance to talk about yet. But we are now the co-owners of Nicole Kidman's AMC jumpsuit.
0: Yeah, if if we're co-owners of the pigeon, but it lives at your house, and we're co-owners of the jumpsuit, it lives at my house. It's been tailored to my body. Hate to blow up that spot, guys, but that was not the first time we opened the box in the video, because it is meant for a 5'11 woman, and it looked quite hilarious when I first tried it on. Maybe we'll we'll post a photo of that, but...
1: Yeah, for sure. So I think like six months ago or something, we started a change.org petition to get the Michael Kors jumpsuit in the Smithsonian, the one that Nicole wore. And I guess the people there took notice because they offered to gift us an identical jumpsuit. And it's just so refreshing when luxury brands like actually have a sense of humor.
0: Yeah. Dear other luxury brands, we are open and ready to make content with your stuff. Yeah, dear Balenciaga, you can send the bear bags our way. We're becoming quite the prop house. I'm sure next year we're going to do live shows, but it's like, I'm going to of course have to wear that suit because where else am I going to wear it? We've got the pigeon bag. If we could get that Balenciaga teddy bear and make it talk. Yeah, you know
1: what? They are taking pre-orders for it presently, and Tat may have put her name down (laughs) on the list, so we'll see. It would be nicer to be gifted one, but I feel like it's worth owning the most controversial bag in the history of fashion, right?
0: Yeah. Should I use the most controversial bag as a segue to discuss the fa- the very sad fact that Vivian Westwood passed away just an hour ago? Sure. Fuck that. She's the type of woman that I thought was going to outlive us all. Like some people are just like that. Absolutely. And now I understand
1: how people felt when the queen died, because to me, Vivian Westwood is the queen of England, basically, you know, certainly the queen of British fashion.
0: Yeah, for sure. Did you know she was a dame? She's Dame Vivian Westwood.
1: I did. I also know that she met the queen and wasn't wearing underwear or something. That is an iconic photo.
0: Yeah, that photo has been trending just in the last hour or two. But, you know, I never know whether we should go into the history of these fashion figures when this stuff happens. It feels pretty self-evident. She is the mother of punk fashion. Yeah,
1: she invented punk style with Malcolm McLaren. And then she pivoted to high fashion and created like a very specific look that was kind of like A mix of like deconstruction and historicism and just sort of like raw sexuality. Like, no one made tits look juicier than this woman.
0: That's her legacy. And we would be remiss if we did not mention the fact that she designs Carrie Bradshaw's wedding dress.
1: Of course. I think that Carrie Bradshaw's wedding dress actually is kind of a pivotal moment in the Vivian Westwood story because it's always been a brand that you associate with. A real bad bitch, right? Like, that's who wears Vivian Westwood the Isabella Blows, yeah. the Tracy Emmons, like the Dita Von Teeses, like those girls. And Carrie, of course, is a bad bitch in her own right, but her wearing that Westwood gown, I think, introduced a lot of like basic people to Vivian Westwood who just would have never heard of it or cared about it before. So that's their reference point for her entire brand.
0: For sure, and then it feels like in the last two years, a younger generation has discovered her, but solely through (laughs) her jewelry for some reason. Solely through a pearl necklace that has her famous sort of crown
1: logo on it, yes. And there's been a resurgence of interest in her corset tops.
0: Yeah, that's a big regret that I have. My parents just texted me because the first time I went to London when I was 17, I was like, I got to go to Vivian Westwood and I need to get some pirate boots. And I still have them. So I will be wearing them in her honor. Oh, you should go
1: and put flowers outside the store in Melrose. What a fucking legend. People like that, like she's irreplaceable, you know, and it's hard to even comprehend fashion without her influence. Like it's it's just it's her body of work is unlike anything else.
0: Yeah, it's hard to imagine London Fashion Week without her. So, I guess it it, it all rests on Richard Quinn now. Well, the brand will continue to be designed by her husband. Andreas Kronthaler. Wait, Kronthaler? How do you say his name? I just want to say, because people do get on our ass about pronunciations, there are so many names that you just read only, and I swear to God, we do go onto YouTube and try to find interviews where their (laughs) names are pronounced. Do you know how many interviews happen where they just don't say the person's name? (laughs) It's just a title card?
1: Yes, it's so true. But anyway, that guy has been designing Vivian Westwood for a minute now, and he's great. And I assume that he'll continue to do that and carry on her legacy. So
0: R.I.P. Vivian, you are a badass bitch. We love you. Your pirate boots and corsets and necklaces will live on forever. How's this for a transition, Chelsea? Do you know that Vivian Westwood had a Nepo baby? Oh, yeah, I did. I did, actually. Her son with Malcolm McLaren started the lingerie brand Agent Provocateur. Yes, he did. I thought that Balenciaga was going to be the topic that people wanted us to talk about the most. But this New York Magazine Nepo Baby article, the amount of DMs that we got where it was like, discuss it, discuss it, please discuss it. Need to know your thoughts. Well, New York Magazine deserves
1: a Pulitzer, I think just for the information design alone of this story, it's actually stunning. I mean, they're always incredible at that sort of thing and photo collages and whatnot, but the way that they visualized the article was really, really stunning.
0: Yeah, the visual information design is top tier. The content of the article I find kind of chaotic, and I'm not sure if they are kicking the shit out of Nepo babies or satirizing them because when you you look at some of the connections or some of the ways that they define nepo babies, like Phoebe Bridgers being a nepotism baby because her mother was a set designer. It's like, are they trying to be so ridiculous with it that we just let this idea go? That, yes, that is a
1: bridge too far. Like, if your parents are employed in the film industry, like Bibi Bridger's, like Macon Markle's dad, who's like a lighting director or something for television, that is not nepotism. That is like a middle-class job. You can't do the lighting on Married with Children and then get your kid a job as a series regular on a television show. Like, that is simply not how it works.
0: Yeah, and I think this is a topic that I'm not sure why in the last five years it's been hotly contested and debated. It certainly doesn't help that actors who are successful that have famous parents don't really handle the que- the question of the privilege that comes with being a Nepo baby very well. I think that has also added fuel to the fire. Yes,
1: because for them, they do feel like it is a burden that they have to carry.
0: And on the other side of things, the public, the internet discourse about nepotism babies, I feel like is slightly incorrect about what privilege is given exactly, because I find that the internet discourse is a one-to-one ratio. You got famous parents, you famous. That's it. Case closed. And... I suppose I should reveal that I went to kind of a Nepo baby high school. Not one that was featured in this article, but... I love that they did that. It's wild. But I went to a private school where child actors went to. I also went to a school where children of actors also went. And so I have seen people that were the children of famous actors who then went on to pursue that same career that didn't become Dakota Johnson. So I guess I look at it differently. As a Nepo baby yourself. (laughs) Well, that's the other thing.
1: (laughs) I mean, your dad was quite successful in his corner of the entertainment industry. As you said, you went to this elite school with children of celebrities. You grew up in Laurel Canyon and you wore Prada to prom. So don't you just hate when even your favorite podcasters (laughs) are Nepo babies?
0: Yeah, you know who would be so happy that I would be a nepotism baby? Is my father, Andrew Garoni. The easily recognizable name, Andrew Garoni. We all know this. (laughs) My father produced direct-to-video erotic thrillers in the 90s. That is what Chelsea is referring to. So did they look down on you because he was
1: in the adult sort of entertainment industry as opposed to sort of like producing
0: action films or something? I believe, yes. I believe that people thought my father was a pornographer. He is not. My mother was also like, please don't tell people that they thought your father was a pornographer. So that just went out the window. Well, it's not really pornography if there's no penetration. Exactly, guys. <laughs> but by the way, what has ne- quote unquote nepotism got me? Like if there is a nepotism league, I would like to speak to the head of it because my <laughs> my career in the entertainment industry is a little more <laughs> Brooklyn Beckham than Sofia Coppola right now. <laughs>
1: Well, this article made me realize that actually all of my favorite celebrities are Nepo babies, and I just never really thought about it. But like someone like Carrie Fisher, right? Like classic Nepo baby, most child of the most famous Hollywood couple of the time, essentially, but she was a brilliant writer. And that's not an inherited skill. She forged her own path. And then you have like Eliza Minelli, someone that is just has so much raw talent that you forget that they're even the child of a famous person, two famous people.
0: And they bring this up in the article, which is basically since the beginning of Hollywood, right? The generation after the first generation is when you have the first Nepo baby, which was Douglas Fairbanks Jr., who was not successful. It's only in that Liza Minnelli, Carrie Fisher, Jane Fonda, 1960s onward era that you have successful babies that come from people in the entertainment industry. Also, the definition of a nepotism baby goes all over the place, Because it goes from what we traditionally understand it, which is your parents are famous in the entertainment industry and you went into the entertainment industry. And we widened that out to mean, you know, famous screenwriter, actor, model, what have you. But we're now considering Rooney and Kate Mara, who come from two football dynasties, as Nepo babies. And it's like, well, they grew up very wealthy.
1: Right. But there's some people that grew up incredibly wealthy, like Julia Louis-Dreyfus, I think being the prime example, that are just like still incredible people. You know, your dad can
0: be a billionaire and you can be a very good actress. However, her son, who seemingly was handed a role on Mindy Kaling's show, that's where we get to point and go Nepo Baby. Well, actually, I think that Jane Fonda is probably the best Nepo
1: Baby of all because she is the rare celebrity who like understood the concept of privilege decades before that became something that we talked about as a culture. And she's just kind of perfect. And I, you know, as
0: always, am grateful to be named after one of her film characters. Love it. And what I was saying before, but I didn't get to, to make that point fully, is when people talk about the privilege that nepotism gives you, it is this one-to-one ratio. But what I think it actually is, is they didn't have to go through the usual machinations that people who aren't connected to the entertainment industry, me included, I just have to say, in like hustling to find a manager, an agent. That is where I'm pretty sure, allegedly, but I would assume that Dakota Johnson, J.D. Washington, their parents who are repped at, I'm sure, CAA, WME, the big agencies went, hey, my kid wants to get into the entertainment industry. Now, do they get the same agent that their parents have no but a junior agent at caa was probably the first person to rep them those are the the gatekeeper stuff they didn't have to go through absolutely and getting
1: your foot in the door is the most important crucial thing for everyone but back to liza this article (laughs) pointed out something that i had never consciously thought about before which is that we give a pass to Nepo babies if their parents died under tragic circumstances, like Mariska Hargitay, um,
0: like Liza, like
1: Billy Lord, who else, Cooper Hoffman, all of those people.
0: There's also the misguided nepotism label? Like this happened to Lily Rose Depp, you know that infamous tweet that is quite funny about her. If it wasn't for nepotism, she wouldn't be able to walk in Chanel because she's 5'3", but it's the wrong side of nepotism. It it isn't the Johnny Depp thing. It's her mother, Vanessa Paradis, who is also 5'3", who was Karl Lagerfeld's muse. That's why she got to walk in Chanel. Right. Well, that is the
1: ultimate form of nepo-baby privilege is if you physically resemble one or both of your extreme hot parents like that is the pinnacle you know the less you look like them the less likely you are to succeed
0: and in regards to billy lord not only was her mother carrie fisher but her father was one of the founding partners of caa the biggest agency (laughs) in hollywood people forget that
1: yeah also, like some of these people are sort of bred to be famous, like purebred dogs, basically. Like one thing that I was surprised that was left out was in the discussion of Maya Hawk, whose parents are Ethan Hawke, Uma Thurman, is that Uma Thurman's mother was actually a very successful model yeah, and was in Chow, Manhattan and married Timothy Leary. And can you imagine if not just your mother, but your grandmother were both models? Like Uma Thurman was on the cover of British Vogue when she was 15. You know, that's some Kaya Gerber shit.
0: Yeah, and Uma Thurman is an incredible actress in her own right. Maya Hawke, you know, while we didn't like the movie Do Revenge, you could see like, oh, Maya Hawke definitely has it. But what I find funny about these uh, Gen X Nepo babies or the babies of the Gen X generation is the amount of people that have no idea who Uma Thurman or Ethan Hawke is <laughs> and really do yeah. love these people on their own merits. Yeah, But didn't you think this article was kind of cunty? Like the Almost Famous section where they're like, they haven't matched their famous relative success, but they've got buzz. It's like, Dan Levy isn't as famous as Eugene Levy? You think Gen Z knows who the (laughs) fuck Eugene Levy is? And his fabulous work in Christopher Guest movies? it's true. He's more of a millennial icon. Well, Dan
1: Levy is a good example, because that's a Nepo baby that I support. But of course, he could have never gotten Shits Creek made without his father, presumably his father's connections, and of course, the entire body of work of Christopher Guest films starring Catherine O'Hara and Eugene Levy.
0: Yeah, I think about who I don't think is in this list. I think it's in a, in the grandfather level, but the, just the Coppola family. But I just think about when Sofia Coppola made virgin suicides and it, i was re-watching clips of of her it's like that's a level of nepo baby that couldn't exist now because when she talks about she directed virgin suicides at 28 she talks about how she just spent her 20s just like i don't know i like started a fashion label and i just really didn't know what i wanted to do and i did photography and then i was like really like this novel so i just decided to make this as a movie it's like if people think Lena dunham is annoying and look Sophia coppola is a patron say to us but it's like that is a level of of nonchalance totally
1: but the thing about sofia coppola is that she has incredible taste her taste level is unlike anything else and before she became a film director she was essentially an it girl which is my favorite brand of nepo baby like i love like a lola leone madonna's daughter i love kim gordon and thurston moore's daughter these are it girls that dabble in modeling which is also what sophia coppola did
0: also interned at chanel at 15
1: yeah but like actually at chanel not like me who's in like the (laughs) department in New York. paris
0: Chanel. Yeah. Carl invited her personally. <laughs>
1: <laughs> but yeah, I I like a lot of Nepo babies. I think the new Nepo babies that really speak to me. I love Honor Switten Byrne, Tilda Swinton's daughter, who is incredible who knew? in her yeah. films. Stunning actor. Miley Cyrus, way more talented than her dad ever was.
0: So that is also another thing I would say, Miley Cyrus is, I feel like the only one in the millennial generation, but I think about Gwyneth Paltrow and Angelina Jolie, where they just became more famous than their parents, and that's how they kind of got a pass in a way.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Who else is good? I mean, obviously, Zoe Kravitz.
0: Oh, wait, can we discuss, speaking of like insane connections uh, for nepotism, Caper Lance being on the list? Oh, yeah, because what was, because her, her mother made the Stonehenge model in Spinal Tap. (laughs) If that counts as nepotism, I'm, I'm a Nepo baby. I fully admit it, guys.
1: Yeah, again, that doesn't get you a Netflix comedy special. Like, that doesn't get you a role on an Amazon series. It is pretty wild. Also, to bring it back to Lena Dunham, who she was really one of, as cited in this article, Girls was a sort of pivotal moment in the Nepo Baby conversation. But I still maintain that if your parents are famous artists, that just doesn't mean you're going to be a good writer, actor, series creator, what have you.
0: Yeah, and I think those who have it the hardest—I'm thinking about Colin Hanks, who has been working consistently for 20 years, and people—he is beloved on his own. Oh my god, speaking
1: of Tom Hanks, I just saw the most horrifying movie ever, which was The Polar Express, which features a CGI— Tom Hanks, that is like the scariest thing I've ever seen in my life.
0: Yeah, this was Robert Zemeckis' obsession with motion capture or 3D animation. I believe he did a Beowulf with Angelina Jolie around this time as well. Yikes. And so- we as a culture just went, no. <laughs> <laughs>
1: okay, I want to wrap this up, but I feel like we should mention the fact that Isabella Per and her daughter are currently on the cover of Italian Elle this month together. I've never seen one of her movies, but this bitch looks exactly like her. And I can't believe we didn't bring this up in our recent discussion about inappropriate baby names, but she named her daughter Lolita.
0: I know. Well, but she's also the only one that can get away with it. After we recorded that, I remembered that Gail Ann Hurd, who's a boss bitch producer, was married to James Cameron, had a kid with Brian De Palma, and that child is named Lolita De Palma.
1: Okay, that name is so major.
0: I know. Again, they get away with it because that's, uh, sorry, what do they say in Australia? A sick cunt name?
1: (laughs) Okay, that is not the correct usage. (laughs) Well, it's also like, French people, you know, like it's shocking that Charlotte Gainsbourg wasn't named Lolita. Also.
0: Lolita Gainsbourg. Great name. Truly. Also fun
1: fact about Charlotte Gainsbourg and Jane Birkin. They love bulldogs. There you this go. Fact interests. Absolutely. No one. Anyway, this is kind of a perfect transition. No.
0: Yes, because a Nepo baby Lily Collins is starring in the third season of Emily in Paris, which I suffered through three episodes, so I could discuss it with you. Thank you for doing that. Also, it's like, what millennial even knows who Phil Collins is?
1: Well, we obviously know who Phil Collins is. In the air tonight, like, Susudio, Phil Collins.
0: I don't know how many people connect that she is related to, or that is her father.
1: Well, you know what, actually, my introduction to Lily Collins was in Teen Vogue, which was Such a nepotism magazine. And I feel like it really should have been mentioned in this article because so many people like Lily Collins were, you know, were featured in Teen Vogue uh, before they got famous.
0: And I remember she had a great line about this where she's like, yeah, but like my dad was the drummer in Genesis. It's kind of not the same thing. And I was like, yeah. He also was had a had a very successful solo career, but like that that is a good a- attempt to to try to distance yourself.
1: Totally, but she had a very like Emily in Paris type life. Like I remember in Teen Vogue reading about the fact that she was a debutante in whatever that extremely famous Parisian debutante ball is, yeah. and she wore Chanel Couture, and she was like sixteen. Like that's like how she's grown up. It's very ugly in Paris. But for me, watching that show feels like taking OxyContin recreationally. (laughs) Like, all of my stresses and worries just melt away. Like, I feel like a fucking, like, newborn baby swaddled in a cashmere blanket or something. It's just, like, such a powerful feeling to be able to, like, disassociate and relax.
0: And I can see that, but also, like... Kate Walsh is such a bad fucking hang, at least in these first few episodes. And I I don't want to belittle a a working mother, but my God. (laughs) Well, the thing about
1: Emily in Paris is that many of the actors are in different shows
0: like she's on
1: some sort of like nickelodeon like shit is on a completely different show like it's all a very weird vibe
0: oh you mean you mean like gina gershon is the only person that understood what film she was in in showgirls you're saying they're exactly. all their acting styles are very different yeah Exactly. And I think that I think that yes, I do
1: agree about that character. But for me, the show is all about Sylvie. Like there's nothing sexier than like a glamorous French woman of a certain age. She's so hot. She's so cool. And actually, everyone that works at the marketing agency is pretty chill. Like Emily is the worst part of the show.
0: Yeah, no, I would just I would have a whole show about their their office for sure. In my head, I just call Sylvie French Jennifer Grey because that's what that woman looks like to me. (laughs) Totally. I can see that.
1: Yeah, I just think it's like I think it's a really great escapist show. Obviously, like
0: it's pretty fucked but I just I don't know there's something about it that really speaks to me can we discuss the overlaps with sex in the city which is really interesting because Darren Starr obviously began sex in the city Michael Patrick King took over but there are several plot points from episodes of sex in the city after Darren Starr left that wind up in the first few episodes of Emily in Paris like the water breaking on Sylvie's shoe is right Miranda's mm-hmm. water breaks on Carrie's labutons. uh Emily trying to do too many things in Paris and that, I think it's the first episode, it all bled together. And, you know, missing her boyfriend's thing because she went to the other thing feels very uh, American Girl in Paris Part 1 totally well you're also forgetting the
1: shameless mcdonald's product placement which also feels very sex in the city
0: 2023 guys we need that mickey d's spawn con come on let's manifest this for us but yeah this is i mean it is this is the definition of we exploitation
1: it's this it's the american girl in parachute which i don't know if we've acknowledged this before but i don't think we've ever mentioned the film funny face in our discussion of this. and i feel like that is the origin story or if There's a film that predates Funny Face that sort of presents this kind of story, let me know. But I feel like on some level they were trying to make a version of Funny Face. A little bit of that, a little bit Sex in the City, you know, all of that.
0: I guess it all dates back to Pygmalion, right? My And then My Fair Lady, and then Audrey Hepburn kind of does it again in Funny Face. Uh, for those who've never seen Funny Face, it's incredible. Audrey Hepburn is a mousy girl who just happens, like, you know, who knew she could be a model? And then she goes to Paris and wears a lot of fabulous Givenchy outfits. I mean, that's like every Audrey Hepburn movie. That's like My Fair Lady also. And then Lily Collins looks exactly like Audrey Hepburn. Like if you learned she was the granddaughter of Audrey Hepburn, you'd be like, oh yeah, of course that makes sense. But she's not.
1: For sure. But Emily in Paris is the most like egregious form of exploitation because like in the span of 10 minutes, it's like "Great, croissants. The Eiffel Tower, La Vienne Rose, like everything, every last thing. It's kind
0: of wild. I was watching it with my parents, and my mom was like, "Why doesn't she speak French yet?" And I was like, "She went to a French class. I mean, yeah, she's learning French." Yeah, come on. Why do these people like Emily? Oh, like her boyfriends and like her friends and stuff. Yeah, everyone. Just every, like- just everyone in the office. I mean. <laughs> Yeah, I
1: have no idea. I mean, she does have some great marketing ideas, Lauren.
0: It's a filter that makes you look like your animal. And oh no, Kate Walsh is stuck on that during her Zoom meeting. My mom went, are we still doing jokes like this? Really? I was like, ooh, Kathy Byrne. (laughs) I know, because it
1: does feel like 10,000 years ago that there was that viral video of that guy in a Zoom
0: meeting with like a cat filter that he couldn't get off. You saw that, right? Yeah, I'm now realizing that's probably the inspiration point. But also, another writer's room that will never hire us as Emily in Paris. Maybe because we talk about the show this way.
1: Yeah, but like, we could definitely write that shit because it's all so simple, right? That's what's great about it. It's like boy meets girl. Like girl can't be with boy because boy has French girlfriend. Like girl's in a weird love triangle. Like girl is marketing McDonald's. Like it's just, it's chill. And I like the fact that I'm not engaged on an intellectual level at all, you know? Because we watch so much prestige television.
0: And it does follow our philosophy of how to get people to not look at your phones, which is like have very fun outfits every three seconds.
1: Yeah, absolutely. The fashion does add so much to the show. Like it's crazy at times. And of course, because I don't like Emily, sometimes I'm like, what? You know, but the French girl, Sylvie, they always look fab. It's the Americans that look crazy. Them and Mindy, the aspiring singer who also looks that shit every single day
0: and she really doesn't need to
1: but it's fun patricia field is obviously a fucking genius and
0: i think it adds a lot it's always fun seeing
1: high fashion clothes on television the novelty has not worn
0: off so what do you think kim cattrall could play in this world hmm
1: it's hard to say because i'm still midway through the season i haven't finished it yet it definitely seems like she could work at like a rival agency or something
0: yeah i don't know if i could take more rival agency stuff but like you know <laughs> emily's aunt get rid of kate walsh could kim be from the the chicago office she should be on the show why not it would complete the trifecta yeah it would kim back in patricia field costumes Oof love. Should we
1: get into Meghan and Harry?
0: Yes, but because I know people are going to write us, I am aware and I do need to say Lily Collins married another Nepo baby. She married the son of uh, Malcolm McDowell and Mary Steenburgen, Charlie McDowell, who used to date Rudy Mara for a long time and is a director in his own right because I guess in Hollywood there's only five straight men to go around.
1: (laughs) Okay, that is some real Alice L word chart shit right there.
0: You're welcome.
1: Speaking of which, I will talk about the L word, but not yet. I need to. I need to ingest a little bit more of it before I can really get my bearings. Megan and Harry.
0: Yes, we we watched the final three parts because I had to. I mean, by the, like the last parts, like I gotta hear what Tyler Perry has to say.
1: <laughs> well, it's also like I gotta get to the wedding. Like the wedding doesn't even happen until episode three, which was great. I actually really liked the last half of Megan and Harry. The first half did not need to be there.
0: No, it needed to be three hours. Yeah. And it would be a very tight documentary. I still don't understand their issue because they never themselves say that the monarchy is racist. They say that the press is racist, but they let the documentary and like the animated interstitials do the work of calling the monarchy racist Because again, if they had just let them essentially do what they want, which is make money on the side, and if their offices, which is so crazy to think about. No, it's beyond crazy. But they would have stayed, right? They're not saying that the institution is fucked up. They're saying the institution, in quotes, but not the institution of monarchy is fucked up.
1: Yeah, they're like we were happy to be the face of this fucked up colonialist empire, but they didn't like us, so we decided not to. It's like what? Yeah. Also, watching this has made me realize The root of all of the problems with the royal family And it is their PR strategy Because <laughs> the whole thing is that every member of the royal family Has a press office that works closely with the British tabloids Which is the lowest form of media that you could choose to engage with, basically And to ensure that they're covered favorably In these like really deranged magazines They give photographers complete access to their lives They feed tabloids during on other members in the family. Whereas Megan, who isn't a complete idiot, knows that it's more about like a strategic Instagram announcement, a New York Times op-ed, an interview with Oprah. Like this shit is not rocket science.
0: Oh, and I, I do want to say, are you okay, Chelsea? We don't ask this of people enough. Are you okay? That was, that was <laughs> Megan's whole op-ed was like, no one asked three simple words. Are you okay? Yeah.
1: <laughs> what I don't want to drag her for that I thought that was
0: nice no sweet
1: sweet I enjoyed it at the time I think it is an important thing to bring to light especially with new moms and you know I applaud her for that and again I applaud her for knowing how to market herself in 2023 whereas the rest of them refuse to get off of this hamster wheel even though they look like clowns they need to get Emily in Paris to market the royal family. They need Sylvie. It's not working. You know, it's they have to pivot.
0: And the problem is the only function that the royal family has really in society is to distract us from the pain of living, right? To have cute kids and do cute ki- <laughs> things with the kids and give us cute weddings. And
1: it is so crazy how they fumbled the bag so hard with Meghan. Like, she was like an angel- sent by God to make this institution look less fucked up than it actually is and they couldn't get past their own jealousy and this woman she seems to genuinely enjoy doing half of this royal shit that they have to do like this woman has the energy of like a morning news anchor you
0: know what I mean she does and I think the other difficult thing to access with Harry and Megan is the work that they like to do, being figureheads in philanthropic work, is ridiculous. And I say this as someone who also has a ridiculous job. But it's like what they want to do with their lives and what is shown in the documentary is like going from penthouse to penthouse, getting made up awards, yeah. sitting next to each other, sending emails, going to conferences where they're getting paid 100 K by Goldman Sachs to give speech. You know, it's the after-president lifestyle.
1: No, it's, it's totally true. Also, watching this made me really miss when Megan McCain was on The View because she had the most insane take about Meghan Markle, <laughs> which was basically like, yes, bitch, slay, because Meghan McCain is so psychotically patriotic that she still harbors resentment towards Britain for, like, the Revolutionary <laughs> War. We won. No, she was literally like, you know, we won our freedom in 1770, like whatever the fuck. And now this American girl is like going back to like finish what we started and like end this shit once and for all. It's like, what?
0: We're over it. Like it happened. The other thing that made me gasp, right? Because if you know about Harry and Meghan's story also because it didn't happen that long ago. You know, again, like I say, it's not the War of 1812. We don't need six hours of historical context. But, you know, you know that Tyler Perry put them up in his house and gave up security, etc, cetera, etc, cetera, et cetera. What made me gasp and what I learned from this documentary is they had never met until yeah, he know. gave them the house.
1: Yeah, that is wild. That is a friend that you want to have in your corner. He seems like genuinely such a lovely man. And it is oh. extremely popped up that they pulled their security. And as Tyler Perry said, it is the tactics of an abuser to basically take away their safety in that way.
0: Maybe this is my like Sicilian paranoia, but when I heard that Tyler Perry had never met them, I'm like, oh, it's very kind that he did that. They obviously needed someone to step in in that way. But also it's like, does he want something on them? Like, it feels like he wants Harry and Meghan to like owe them a favor one day.
1: No, he's just so rich that, like, giving them the Montecito house is like me borrowing your, like, Dyson hairdryer or something.
0: Uh, yes, it was his, it, it's his house in, in Beverly Hills. It is fucked up, the, the tactics that paparazzi do and climb hillsides, but I just want to mention that it is surrounded by three other gated communities. Right.
1: Oh, question, Lauren. Is being thrown to the wolves the same thing as being fed to the wolves? Because it seems like it is.
0: Yeah, because once you're thrown to the wolves, the wolves will eat you, so.
1: I feel like Megan was like, okay, we need a, like, were you silent or were you
0: silenced type line in this. It took Oprah three decades to be able to just throw out lines like that. Yeah, of course. I think the other highlight is when they do the interview with Oprah and the reaction and Beyonce texts Meghan Markle and Harry goes, yeah, that was cute. So
1: anyway, yeah, watch parts three to six of Meghan and Harry. Why not?
0: Yeah, I contend that there's no there there. Also, it's like Harry's book is coming out in a couple months.
1: Yeah, what is he going to reveal in the book that hasn't already been revealed on Oprah or in this special?
0: More stuff about the family? I mean, it seems like the real loggerheads of this family falling apart because you go back to their wedding and i remember thinking even in my cruel icy black heart how beautiful it was that charles walked megan down the aisle totally and there was a gospel choir i mean it was crazy again we were functioning on two hours of sleep because we had just seen taylor swift and like woke up at four to watch the wedding but we were there for the dress which
1: honestly I i appreciate that it was sort of modern in its simplicity but like didn't love. Also, imagine not asking Vivian Westwood to do your wedding dress.
0: Well, you know? she can't ask her now. <laughs> Warren, that's <so> up. <sighs> but it's, it seems like, and this is the other thing, I feel like if you're going to do a documentary, give us the goods. And they get up to a point, right? And there's a lot of like you as the audience are left to infer, but it seems like the real loggerheads were, was between William and Harry. Yeah. Because there's that scene where she's like, whatever, it's your brother. I'm not going to get into it, but.
1: I mean, what's his name? William? (laughs) I mean, William and Kate give me bad vibes, you know? It's like, of course everyone was going to like Meghan and Harry more. They at least on the surface appear to be human beings and not like Mars attacks robot people.
0: And that's a narrative that I do believe and sort of like Occam's razor that makes the most sense the press, and the people, the commonwealth like them so much that everyone else felt threatened. Especially at this point where William has three children, two sons, that there's no pathway for Harry to become king.
1: But come on, don't you think like Prince George is gonna like fuck shit up (laughs) once he's old enough?
0: Yeah, we need a socialist royal.
1: (laughs) Absolutely. A sassy little socialist. Well, I guess we've come to the end of our hundredth episode.
0: My goodness. Well, this year has been a bit of a mixed bag as you like to say, but talking to you and building this community has definitely been a highlight of that year.
1: We're so grateful To all of you for listening to us talk about dumb shit on a weekly basis it's just it's really beautiful and moving and we appreciate y'all so much
0: it's i think only going to get better if only for the fact that next year is the not only the 25th anniversary of sex in the city but at some point we're going to get in just like that season two yes blessedly also oh my god we forgot to mention the fact that carrie's
1: vivian westwood dress was resurrected for season two of And Just Like That. We've discussed it on the podcast previously, but that's gonna be sort of extra sad now that she's passed away.
0: Yeah, especially if it's with the storyline we think it might be too, which is her re-wearing it in a different context so it's not tied to the death of Big. Exactly. Oh shit, my laptop's on low battery and I have to get out of this garage. All right, guys, we will be back next week. We'll be talking about the Sex and the City episode, The Cold Wars, if you want to watch that before the episode drops. Happy New Year, and see you guys in 2023. Bye. Love ya. Bye.